0: you mm-hmm. Jesus, this is all for you. Everything that we do today, let you be glorified in our actions, in our words, in our thoughts. So, Holy Spirit, we delight in you. God, it's not very often I have a pastor slap me on the back and say, Have fun, right before I get to go preach. But, Lord, I know what that means. There is nothing like serving you. There is nothing like having you be in us and working in our hearts. It is a joy. It's beyond fun. God It is a joy to serve you. And so today, God, let it not just be a message that we take in with our ears. But we give you, Lord, full attention. That your words would sink deeply in our heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. It's wonderful to be a part of a church that loves missions. And I don't just mean Bethel, but I mean the assemblies of God in general. We are a family. And we are family that are bound by a common purpose and a common goal, and that is to take the message of Christ to the ends of the earth. I had an opportunity just recently uh, with a tribe out on the coast of Washington. I took a brother with me out to Idaho in our last missions trip that we took out there. And as we were sharing the service, this, this guy who had been introduced to me as coming out and being free from every kind of addiction you could possibly imagine is now a pastor. And he stood next to me in the service in what I called the widest church in America. And he said, you know what, brother, it just dawned on me. He said, I I just realized I am the first person from my tribe to be a pastor. This is over 4,000 years of history. And just now we're seeing the indigenous church grow in our own state. There's nations within our nations that we don't even, they're right under our nose. And the thought struck me. Jesus, we are living in the days that you said would happen. We think of missions as being on the other side of the planet. And in reality, what Jesus said was this gospel was going to be preached to the ends of the earth. Those that live out on that corner near Nia Bay, I was in La Push have always referred to that corner. In fact, they they call that the end of the world. And I thought, God, you are in our day fulfilling what you said would happen. So if you want to get involved in the cutting edge of missions, and that's your cry, that's your heart, get this book in your spirit because you are strategically placed at the ends of the earth. We don't always think about that here in America. We are a missions sending country. A lot of people say, well, someday we need to be a missions receiving country because there's so many people that need to hear about Jesus. That is so true. But I'll tell you what, we have a surplus of Christian workers that if I were to take you to Wales would absolutely blow your mind the difference between here and there. I preached in a church that was a hotbed during the Welsh revival. It was a large building that could hold maybe a thousand people. And when an evangelist came to join this prayer meeting that had gone on around the clock, He couldn't get to the front to preach. He had to walk on the shoulders of the men to get to the front of the building. This was in 1904. I preached in that church for the second time, or I think it might have been the third time I was there. About 45 people gathered there. Loved Jesus with all their hearts. And a lady came up to me and said, Pastor, I'm going to remember what she said for a long, long time because I haven't heard preaching in years. I had to stop and think about what she said because my ears heard, that was really good. I haven't heard preaching like that. No, what she said was, I haven't heard preaching in years. And that church has been without a pastor for seven years. I tried to explain this to a group of Welsh pastors. We met together for coffee and they really hadn't ever done that before. And I said, well, I know about the last thousand years in Wales, I know about the last hundred years in Wales, but what I wanna ask you is tell me about the last 20. And they went and recounted all of these churches in the area that are places that I know, but the church doesn't exist there anymore. There had been a 75% decline. It had gone from 20 churches down to five just since the late 90s. And they says, well, we have a lot of churches that need pastors. I said, I noticed this. And they says, well, in America, what's it like? He says, well, when a church loses a pastor, there's usually a committee. And uh, they decide who's the next pastor. And they would take a list of uh, CVs. They call them CVs, resumes. And and look over and pour over them and pray and decide which one they're going to interview. And they say, whoa, 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 wait. Are you trying to tell me that they have more than one to pick from? It, It broke their brain that there would be more than one applicant. You see, we enjoy a surplus of ministers in this country. Where in Wales, we have a a literal shortage. So when we work with a church that's pastorless, we have to realize they may never get a pastor in their lifetime. Has God given up on that country? Are people not being called? I refuse to believe that because that's not the God I serve. He continually calls out to us. And I promise you that when there is a church in Wales that doesn't have a person with the title pastor there, and there are people there that want the Holy Spirit to move. You can be sure that there's somebody with a gift of pastoral ministry. They may never have preached a sermon in their life, but I'll say, who's the person that, whose phone rings when somebody's sick? When somebody needs help or attention? And they all point at one lady and they say, oh, that's definitely, that's her ministry. Well, you're not without the gift of pastoral ministry, are you? Who's the one that you'd find just you can't shut them up about Jesus? I'll bet that person's got a gift. of The Holy Spirit is always faithful to make sure that his church is well equipped. Yeah, right. It's the pastor's job to stir up those gifts and make sure they're being used. But one thing that we do when we work with pastorless churches in Wales is remind them that whether or not there is a person there with the title that the Holy Spirit is still the head of his church. Amen. I want you to pray with us. Of course, as we go, I handed out a prayer card to most of you. And I thank you for, for praying. But um, I, felt, I felt led by the Spirit to do something today. I want to show you the power that's behind missions. Phyllis, come on up here. I told you I was gonna do something really radical to embarrass you today. But I want you to give her the same kind of hand you gave me. Come on. You didn't think this was gonna happen today. I know you didn't think this was gonna happen today. The reason why I have Phyllis up here with me is because nothing happens in missions without prayer. Right. And she told me today that she's been praying for me for years and I know she's not lying to me. Right. Yeah. Let me tell you something. I had a minister from another uh, organization tell me that they think the way that we do missions is broken because we have to waste all our time and money and effort burning miles and tires going to different services. And I said to that man, I said, you know, we've all been on the floor in our bedroom curled up in the ball, haven't we? And he says, yeah, I know what you mean. I said, you tell me when you're in that moment right there, what amount of money, who can write you a check to solve your problems? And he says, yeah, you got a point. I said that's why we do what we do and I want to I want to look at you and I want to address this crowd and I want to thank you for being a part of missions because it's your prayers and more importantly you knowing that when you pray it moves the hand of God in places that you can never set foot that help us to get up in the morning and want to do it all over again so thank you you are the power behind missions. Amen. Jesus is doing it, for folks. He is, he is anointing people like Phyllis and people like you to pray. So thank you. Let's open the scripture to the book of Acts chapter 5, if you will. Church, I don't know how we can do this without the power of the Holy Spirit. I can't imagine trying to live life without the power of the Holy Spirit. And the apostles couldn't imagine it either. In fact, everything they did depended on it. They didn't have a particularly easy life either. And when you start living for God, you're going to find that life doesn't get easier, but it does get better. In chapter 5 of the book of Acts, we read in verse 17, Then the high priest and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. If that isn't underlined in your Bible, underline it. Because that is a very, very cool phrase. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told. And they began to teach the people. And when the high priest and his associates arrived, they called together the Sanhedrin, the full assembly of the elders of Israel, and sent to the jail for the apostles. But on arriving at the jail, the officers did not find them there. There. So they went back and reported, we found the jail securely locked with the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. And on hearing this report, the captain of the temple guard and the chief priests were puzzled, wondering what would come of this. Then someone came and said, look, the men you put in jail are standing in the temple courts and they're teaching the people. And at that, the captain went with his officers and brought the apostles. They didn't use force because they feared that the people would stone them. Having brought the apostles, they made them appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. Peter and the other apostles replied, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus from the dead, whom you had killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might give repentance and forgiveness to the sins of Israel. We are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit who God has given those to obey him. When he heard this, they were furious and they wanted to put them to death, but a Pharisee named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law who was honored by all the people, stood up in the Sanhedrin and ordered that the men be put outside for a little while. And then he addressed them. Men of Israel, consider carefully what you intend to do to these men. Some time ago, Theodos appeared and he claimed to be somebody. And about 400 men rallied to him. He was killed. All his followers were dispersed and it all came down to nothing. And after him, Judas, the Galilean, appeared in the days of the census. He led a band of people in revolt and he was killed and all his followers scattered. Therefore, in the present case, I advise you leave these men alone, let them go. For if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it's from God, you will not be able to stop these men. You will only find yourselves fighting against God. His speech persuaded them and they called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. I love God's word. It reminds us what it can be like and what it should be like. It's living and active. It's not just a 2,000-year-old book. It's the word of God to us. And it's the same spirit that raised, who? Christ. Christ. Is there anything more powerful than that? And we wonder, does God still care Does he really recognize me? Oh, friend, he does. Because all of your sin was laid upon him. And whether you like it or not, whether you accept it or not, that price has been paid. And there's absolutely nothing you can do about it. And so when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, that same Spirit was given to you when you believed. If it was enough to raise Jesus Christ from the dead, I'm pretty sure it's enough to get me out of bed in the morning. How can we live without the Holy Spirit? Living a life unempowered would just be absolutely unthinkable for the apostles. And friends, it has to be unthinkable for us as well. We have to be able to stand up and say, God, I can't imagine trying to take this day on without you. How would I, how would I cope? I need you more and more. You see, the enemy's primary focus is to keep you chained. To keep you from realizing everything that the Holy Spirit wants to do in you. To keep you from encountering the Spirit of God. But one thing he cannot chain and that is the Holy Spirit. He can chain your body in prison, but he cannot chain the Holy Spirit. Why were they broken out of jail? Because they were escape artists? because they somehow won over the favor of the people that were there? No, it was an angel that came. Angel being a spirit being. It was even by the spirit that that was allowed to happen. Paul and Silas, again, they're on this failed mission trip to Asia and end up in Macedonia. And their whole plan of ministry has gone out the window. And while they, the most powerful evangelist on the planet, are shackled inside of the prison, God is starting a church in Lydia's house. Doing it his way rather than their way. And out of the depths of their being, hurt though they were, they started praising God in the spirit, and the doors were opened. Satan cannot chain the spirit, he can only chain your body. He cannot, think about this, Satan cannot punish the spirit. He cannot inflict damage upon the spirit of God. But he can inflict damage upon you and your body. He can't bury the spirit. But he can bury your body. And that's where it comes down to the question that the Bible poses to us again and again. Are we going to live by the spirit or by the flesh? You can only give life to that which you obey. If you want to give life to the flesh, the devil just says, go on ahead. It's awesome. You're going to have all kinds of fun. Drugs are super cool. Doing exactly what the Bible says not to do is fun. It's great. Go ahead and do that. Give life to the flesh. Obey the flesh. It leads to death. You can only give life to that which you obey. Now, in contrast... Give life to the spirit, but how can you do that? You can't. You have to have God make you alive in Christ Jesus. And then he gives you even the power to obey him. That thought has just been coming to me over and over again in the services that we've had recently. People that are doubting, but are still asking a question. I don't even know why I'm having this conversation. I don't really believe. Friend, the Spirit himself gives us the ability to have faith. We say without faith, it's impossible to please God. I don't have enough faith. Even God is so generous to give us faith when we don't have it. Because he is Spirit, because he works through the Spirit, because that's who he is. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in exactly. So when we apply truth to our lives, like the apostles did, and we say, I'm going to do what the spirit is telling me to do. It doesn't matter what the world tells me to do. There's life in that because we're giving life to the spirit Or rather, God has put his living spirit in us. If we obey the body, we'll die with the flesh. And that's what life in the flesh will get you. But if you obey the spirit, you will live in the spirit. That's why these gentlemen could stand up and say, We must obey God rather than men. You can tell us what you want to tell us, but we have orders on a higher level. It's interesting that Gamaliel had that self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? He said... If it's not God, it's just going to fizzle out. And friends, you wonder why your relationship with God and church and anything else has gone cold. If God isn't living in us, if we're not giving life to the spirit, then it's all going to come to nothing your attendance in this place doesn't make a difference in your life. It doesn't matter how good a sermon Pastor Kyle preaches day after day. We have to obey it. That's how we feel when we go into ministry. Christ's love compels us. We can't do anything different because we've been re-hardwired and our default setting is that we know of no other way than to serve Jesus. I want to tell you a quick story about my buddy Alan. Alan's a pastor of a church in Wales that hadn't grown beyond 10 people in the last 12 years. And when I was at his house, he looked at me and said, Ryan, I'm not okay. And the second he said that, I knew he wasn't complaining. He said, we open the doors of the church and there's kids playing in the street. And we're all 50 years or 60 years older than they are. And we have no connection to them. I'm not okay with that. God had put in him a holy discontent. They wanted to do something about kids in their community. They did the craziest thing I've ever seen. They opened the kids ministry on Thursday night with zero kids. But from that point on, as they went around in the community, They said to the people, we have something for your kids on Thursday night, and it was no lie. I went there when there were five kids sitting around a Sunday school table. They did everything wrong. They busted out flannel graphs. They had puppets. They had coloring pages that were yellowed from the 1960s. And it didn't matter to those kids because they didn't know any different. They just saw people that were telling them the truth for the first time in their life. And I went home and I said to my wife, for the first time ever, I feel like I'm a missionary. Did it take anything fancy? Did it take anything expensive? No. What it was, was the Holy Spirit of God burning inside this pastor's heart. And less than six months later, they had doubled the size of their church through children. God can do anything. Jesus, we come to you right now. And I know there's somebody today that needed to wake up. God, there have been mornings that you have had to take a lot of extra time with me to get me where I need to be. And you always bring me back to where my source comes from. When I'm tired, when I'm weary, when things aren't making sense to me, it's because I'm not tapping into you. And God, we listen to our own voice so often. What we think suddenly becomes truth to us, even though. It may not line up with your word at all. And so even as these men were bold to stand up, to be whipped within an inch of their life, and then say, thank God we got to suffer for Jesus. It sounds grandiose that we would stand up and say before a court of people, we got to obey God rather than men. But God, I pray today we could even personalize it down to the individual. That I would say before you, Lord Jesus, I have to obey you, God, rather than myself. We submit our lives to you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for the opportunity to share with you today.